Welcome to SI's Planet Football Podcast, where each week we discuss the latest in the world of soccer. I am SI.com soccer editor Avi Creditor, joined today by SI senior writer Grant Wall, SI.com's Brian Strauss. Gentlemen, is a big week of soccer at Sports Illustrated. If a you, summer of soccer. A summer of soccer. If you uh, if you listen to some some radio stations, particularly in the New York metropolitan area. You might be aware that there are 11 pages, a staggering <laughs> number of pages uh, in Sports Illustrated's magazine this week. And we are going to get to all of that, Lionel Messi, Chicharito, and more. Um, before we get into all of that goodness, though, uh, there's a lot to talk about going on uh, this week. Obviously, Copa America's coming up, Euros are coming up, Champions League Final is coming up on Saturday. Uh, and I want to start with the U.S. men's national team. And Brian, I'm going to start with you on this. Uh, the U.S. beats Ecuador. We're taping this Thursday morning, so last night. Uh, one to nothing. Darlington Nagby in the 90th minute with the winner. Um, you know, we, we look at these friendlies and we look for things that we can take looking ahead to Copa America, right? The results, not all that important, but what we see on the field is important. And Brian, I was just kind of curious what you saw um, and, and how you think it might be purposed towards Copa America. First of all, don't forget Sheffield Wednesday promotion final. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Thank you. <laughs> um, what uh, obviously we we all saw two very different games, uh, two very different approaches uh, by by Klinsman. Uh, obviously, in the first half, uh, you know, using Beckerman, Jones, and Bradley in a three man midfield, locking things down, very conservative, uh, concerned about shape, defending, um, things like that, and obviously had almost nothing going forward. Uh, and then in the second half, we we saw him open it up. And we saw him put in some substitutes, some young guys with some skill uh, who changed the face of the game. Uh, Bobby Wood, Darlington Nagmi. Well, Nagmi's not young, but he's new to the national team. Um, Christian Pulisic. Uh, and, and so we saw two different ways. Uh, I, I think it was helpful. I think it was instructive. I think as far as friendlies go, uh, this was a good test. It, it, you know, can the U.S. against a skillful opponent, um, you know, sort of shut things down and defend and 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 even while seeding some of possession, not really give away too many chances. Yeah, I mean, Ecuador had a lot of the ball, uh, but uh, managed only one shot in the first half, and other than Montero on the left, really didn't have anywhere to go. And then in the second half, we saw that they do have some players who who have the technique and the skill and the sort of the instincts to play the kind of soccer Klinsman wants. So so I think overall, uh, pretty helpful, pretty instructive, and, and a lot to take forward going into the Copa. Absolutely. There's one more game uh, before Copa America, and that's against Bolivia on Saturday. I'm wondering, you know, if Jeff Cameron is fit, I, I think we'll get a chance to see him in central defense. And I think that's something that U.S. fans want to want to see. I think there's a lot of groaning per usual with with the uh, the lineup choice and the conservative nature of it. But at the same time, and, and Brian, we were talking about this, um, you know, during the game, it's, you know, you have to look at your opponents and, and look at, you know, the best way to stifle them and find a way to, to take points off of them. And the U.S. opens up against Colombia, and that's not going to be an easy game. And and you made the point that, you know, maybe the conservative stifling approach is is the best way to to get a positive result from that. Yeah, you don't want, you don't want to start off the group stage uh, with a demoralizing result. And so, you know, and it's a three-game thing. It's not it's not 90 minutes. It's 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 270. So, you, you know, you, you, you keep things tight against Colombia, you open it up a little bit in the next two games, and and if you do, if you make the right choices, uh, you're in a good position to advance, and that's what matters. Um, I think obviously we saw uh, what will be most of the of the back four. Uh, it's good to have a sense of what that's going to be. John Brooks was was wonderful last night. I mean, to see his improvement. 
from kind of a disastrous Gold Cup last summer to where he is now um, is 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 positive, is is exciting. Uh, and then he'll likely play alongside Jeff Cameron, and so you'll have Cameron, uh, Brooks, Yedlin, and and Johnson. I think playing Johnson a left back is the right call. Uh, he is a better midfielder, but there isn't an, an obvious replacement for left back. And so the U.S. is better. It will have better players on the field with Johnson a left back and another guy in left mid than you would if you had Johnson a left mid and someone else a left back. So I think Klinsman's making the right call there. Um, and then, uh, like I said, looking forward, I mean, you you see you see in Bobby Wood uh, a player that Klinsman had faith in and that has come come along. Um, you see him having sort of the guts to put Christian Pulisic in a in a in a situation where he obviously doesn't feel overawed. The one issue, the one concern I have is is Giassi's artist. I I don't think his his touch and his decision making are consistent enough to be effective as a starter at this level yet. Um, Klinsman's invested a lot of time in him and obviously is hoping to see the same sort of improvement and turnaround we've seen in Yedlin and Wood. But now is the time to stop hoping. I mean, the Copa, this is a big deal and you want to get good results. Uh, and I think Zardes is, is a guy who might be more effective off the bench. Um, you've also got Bedoya waiting in the wings as well. So, um, you know, a lot of options, uh, some improvement from some key players. And, uh, and you know, Klinsman makes the right choices here. I think this is a group the U.S. can get out of. All good points. We will see uh, in their final test on Saturday. Uh, what else we can take from that building towards Copa? But but like you said, I think you know that game's going to be a, a last chance for uh, for a lot of guys to to state their case, as Jurgen likes to say. Um, and prove your point. And yeah, prove your point. Prove you belong. Another level. Take it to that next level and and see if you can get on the field against Colombia. Um, also Saturday, Grant. Uh, in addition to Sheffield Wednesday playing for promotion, Brian. Uh, the Champions League final: Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid. Uh, it's going to be. A, a fascinating game. You know, we saw the the same final two years ago, and there are you know some different faces, obviously different coaches for for Real Madrid anyway. Um, but in in some ways, it's a lot of the same, right? It's Atletico's Madrid collective and their belief and their defending against Real Madrid's individualism and their star power and and everything that that they bring to the table. Uh, your thoughts on this? I know you you think Atletico is it's their time. I do. Uh, I, I think this is a team that has beaten. Barcelona and Bayern Munich now in this Champions League over 180 minutes. So I think they're definitely capable over 90 minutes of beating Real Madrid. Um, I, I think what Diego Simeone has done in building the identity of this team is to do it over a period of years and to do it even with different players at times. I mean, they've lost, they've had a lot of turnover during his tenure there, and yet they've continued to perform at an extremely high level. And here they are in another Champions League final. And I, I, I think, one, I think Atletico Madrid should be the favorite, and they're not, which surprises me. I, you know, Real Madrid uh, obviously is capable of winning this game. They have guys who can decide games, multiple guys. And I, I think what Zidane has done in stabilizing this team that was kind of moving toward chaos when he took over um, is impressive, very promising for his future as a, as a coach, I think. Um, but if you look at what Atletico has been able to achieve and uh, their ability to not necessarily possess the ball a lot, but to make the most of it when they, they have it and produce chances. And Antoine Griezmann's had a, a fantastic year when you look at the overall production he's had. Uh, even a guy like Fernando Torres has been revived. 
but for me, the big figure is is the coach. And uh, I think this era, and I think we can almost call this an era of Simeone, especially in terms of Atletico Madrid, it would be uh, an appropriate thing for that era to be marked by at least one Champions League victory. And I think this is the best opportunity. For Real Madrid, obviously, Rafael, Rafael Varane is, is out uh, with, with an injury. That's big for their defense. Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, you don't know his, his you know, he's saying all the right things. He's saying he's fully fit. Zidane's saying he's fine. But is he? We, we don't know for sure. Uh, you know, if there is that little bit of weakness, Simeone's going to attack it. Um, and that's that's big for Real Madrid entering this game. Atletico Madrid, you know, for the most part, pretty, pretty solid when it comes to their core, um, you know, playing in this game. Um, you know, we've said all along Atletico Madrid might be the, the toughest team to beat in this tournament. Um, and so far it's proven to be like that. You know, they haven't overawed teams. They haven't overwhelmed teams. You know, they've won on away goals. Um, that's not going to be in play in Milan, but uh, they're a very difficult team to, to beat. And I'm, I'm with you. I think this, this is going to be their, their year to pull it off. So is Madrid, though. I mean, people overlook Madrid's capacity to be nasty and gritty. Um, you, you got Sergio Ramos, Pepe, um, you know, Marcelo guys, guys that'll mix it up and, you know, you know, pull hair and, 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 and shirts if they have to as well. And so let's not pretend that this is Atletico's grit versus Madrid's, you know, uh, you know, dynamic fluid football, uh, Madrid can be nasty as well. And, and look, Madrid is, Madrid is the Lannisters. Madrid is the, the big banks, you know, I mean, they, they just always find a way. I, I love the Atletico fairy tale as well, but you know, I, I I'm still leaning not not in my heart, but in my brain toward Madrid in this game. Fair enough. Uh, well, let me put this to you then: over under twenty and a half players remaining on the field at the end of the game. <laughs> uh, let's have it like a good Libertadores game or a or a Liga MX final, you know, where you know there's three red cards and a coach ejected. Nine versus eight. <laughs> Nine versus eight, Simeone's in the owner's box by the end of the game. <laughs> and, um, and, and and if if Zidane hasn't split his pants, you know, then we've been shortchanged. <laughs> That's true. We should just, all these prop bets. Zidane, Zidane splitting his pants, uh, Simeone crotch grab. Sure. You know, I think there's a few things that have a decent chance of happening. Uh, the Ronaldo pose, do we get it more than two times? <laughs> I say I say one. Ronaldo, he'll okay. score one. He'll score one. I think he's definitely playing. I, I oh, think he's definitely he's, playing. He was playing to the cameras a little bit during training this week. Yeah, yeah, probably. Uh, important to note, one more goal from Ronaldo. He ties his own record for a single-season Champions League, um, 17 in one Champions League, which is insane. Um, so a lot of things to watch. Going to be a great game, of course. Um, I do love that you know these two city rivals have to travel to another country to play this game, but it, uh, but it, it makes for, for good, uh, good entertainment. So definitely looking forward to that. Um, Grant, we've got a, a piece of a podcast that you taped with our Maggie Gray on her podcast, The Gray Area, talking about your story on Lionel Messi um, and this week's SI Magazine. If you haven't checked out the total package on Messi, definitely do so. We've got an SI film on Messi um, and then his first person essay in the magazine. Um, but this week's issue is about more than just Messi. There is so much soccer uh, in this issue, a feature story on Chicharito, and, and I kind of just want to let you explain what's going to be coming in the next few weeks as well. Well, my story on Chicharito is actually the first part of a four-part series that will be taking place in Sports Illustrated magazine. This is the first week, and there will be three more over the next three weeks. And it's coming out, obviously, as the Copa America is going on and Euro 2016 is going on. 
And so you're going to have, um, you know, guys from the Americas involved, guys from Europe involved. And uh, the package is called Total Football. And it's basically stealing the idea of George Will, which I'm freely admitting here, uh, who wrote uh, a classic baseball book in 1990 called Men at Work, in which he took the sport of baseball and divided it into four functions, batter, pitcher, fielder, and manager. And he picked one person to represent each who was really accomplished at what they do, did, but also really good at talking about how they go about their day-to-day, the craft of their sport. And you can do that with any sport. And so I wanted to do that with soccer. And so over these four weeks, I picked a forward, a midfielder, a defender, and a goalie, and picked one person to represent each. And we do give away who the people are in the magazine. So I'll go ahead and say it. My forward is, is Chicharito Hernandez. My midfielder is Xabi Alonso. Defender is Vincent Company. Goalkeeper is Manuel Neuer. And uh, I went to Europe in uh, late January, early February. So it's been a little while, but this is a lot of timeless stuff. You know, you, and these guys had the time, gave me the time to sit down with them at length, up to an hour or more, and talk to them about how they approach their position and the tricks of the trade and, and modern soccer, modern football to those guys. And these are all really smart guys. And it was really an education for me and fun to listen to their thoughts on modern football and their position and to watch video with them of themselves. Uh, each of the clubs put together uh, clip packages like they put together when they're uh, doing scouting preparation for games. And, uh, and it was really, really fun just to sit down and, and do this. And I hope it comes through in the magazine stories. The one on Chicharito, uh, a lot of it gets into you know, why it's not just by accident that this guy is so often in the right place at the right time in the penalty box. And there's a lot of preparation, a lot of thought that goes into everything he does, every move he makes on the field, and off for that matter. So uh, that's kind of where we are with it. But uh, it's, for me, fun. And you've got these personalities, these guys who uh, we know about, but also getting them to talk about what they know best, what they're experts in, as opposed to, we didn't really talk about, you know, off the field stuff as far as like their personal story and you know, their personal life. This is about soccer. And uh, I think the time's right to, to have a series like this and as the sport gets bigger in the U.S. And um, we'll see what the reaction is. Absolutely. It's a, a different kind of feature, but I, I think it's going to be really enlightening. And I think you're all going to enjoy all the stories for sure. Definitely pick up this week's issue, though, uh, and, and read the story on Chicharito, who is primed for a uh, a big Copa America, right? Mexico is, is going to be one of the favorites to, to at least reach the final, if not win the whole thing. Um, and Chicharito is a big reason why, coming off a 26-goal season with Leverkusen. Um, so that's that. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, Grant, it's going to be you and Maggie Gray talking about all things Lionel Messi. Tennis has returned to the red clay of Roland Garros for the 2016 French Open. SI's executive editor, John Wertheim, is the host of Beyond the Baseline, and he's in Paris covering the tournament for us and the Tennis Channel. Pretty nice gig, my say so myself. Uh, last week, John broke down a tournament preview with former world number one Lindsay Davenport. And for French Open 2016, Behind the Baseline with John Wertheim is a must. 
Find it at si.com slash podcasts or your app of choice, including iTunes, Stitcher, and now Google Play Music. Okay, so let's just get into this, Grim. Messi wants to meet Steph Curry. Who doesn't? Why does he think that they have a lot in common? Why does he think they would hit it off? Well, there's a, a lot going on here. One of them being that I've noticed when I interview top international soccer stars, a lot of them watch the NBA and are fans of the NBA. And Messi is one of those guys as well. Gosh, David Stern would just the smile, that Cheshire cat <laughs> smile is just breaking out wide as he's listening to them. And, uh, and so a lot of uh, you know, these top soccer stars are fans of the NBA, of, of other American sports, including the NFL. Um, and from Messi's perspective, he looks at Stephen Curry as having a, a kinship with him. They, they're not physical uh, perfection as far as these giant, power, you know, powerful figures who just rely on their raw athleticism. And, and clearly they have athleticism. But uh, if you get these guys out of their uniforms, they don't look like very different from the rest of the population. Lionel Messi looks like an accountant if you see him dressed up on the street. You know, he's he's not tall, he's not big, he's, he's just a normal-looking guy, and he's a normal-dressing guy. Uh, same thing with Steph Curry. And, and when they play, because they aren't these huge physical specimens, they rely on skill and smarts and speed, and all of these intangibles, which are fun to watch. And they clearly enjoy each other's game. We had several months ago a situation where Steph Curry sent his jersey to Lionel Messi. Yes, was that prompted or unprompted? I don't know exactly on that. I don't think it was, like... Like, is Steph Curry just sending out his signed jersey to people? Because that's, to me, that's like a Michael Jordan move. To me, that doesn't seem so much like a Steph Curry move. I don't know the exact story of the original sending of of Steph Curry's jersey. Like, there, it was an Instagram thing. They had this little kind of Instagram bromance going on where... I think it was the uh, occasion of Messi reaching 30 million Instagram followers and Steph Curry's number is 30, and so he sent him that commemoration. That's enough right there. Messi then posted a thank you and now has sent his jersey back to, uh, to Steph Curry. And that's like that's a soccer thing, a jersey swap, and I know guys love yes. doing, that kind of, doing that kind of thing. And, and I, I see where Messi is coming from where he could feel like he would identify with Curry, but I feel like if you look at their upbringing – and the types of pressures that they may have been under, it would have been stark contrasts. Steph Curry grew up with his father already an established NBA player, didn't want for anything. I don't really think there was a ton of pressure on him to make it in the pros. He's more of an underdog story, whereas Messi, and from you know reading what he went through, and I know it's a well-worn story of him taking the growth hormone when he was a child, and but having to leave your home country and continent at the age of 13 with your family's hopes and dreams on his shoulder, has he reconciled with that yet? How does he look back on it now that he's, quote-unquote, you know, that he's made it? Well, when we talked, Messi talked about these being difficult times, challenging times, but also times when he was 13 years old and just moved to Barcelona that he cherishes. Um, you know, his whole family moved with him and he was 13 yeah, years so old and suddenly his dad, you know, Barcelona helped get his dad a job in Barcelona, but he's living in a new country and the whole family is dependent on this 13 year old 
succeeding or failing. And he had a lot of talent by then, enough that Barcelona was willing to do something they don't typically do. Even then, around 2000, you never saw a player that young come from another country to a place like Barcelona to move that far with his entire family. So clearly Barcelona saw something in in Messi, but it wasn't inevitable. The kid was 13 and really small. This was a story about a college football player the NCAA would be all <laughs> over this thing. It's an agent, right, who finds him when he's 13, who has got a connection. They bring him over. They pay for everything. They even pay for the HGH injections. Yeah. There's so many things. And, you know, just because you've covered a lot of sports, not just soccer, as I'm reading Messi's story, I'm thinking to myself, why can't athletes, you know, why can't this work where athletes can have more of a decision on their own careers where if you want to go somewhere and sign when you're 13, if someone wants to take a flyer on you, then sure, let money exchange hands, let agents be signed. Was there anything negative that came out of his experience? Was he exploited? Do you feel like he was um, taken advantage of at a young age? I don't feel like Messi himself was exploited in a lot of ways. I know that the family did have some representation issues early on with different people claiming to represent him and advice maybe not being that great at at the start. But there's even regulation in, in world soccer. FIFA has a rule that prevents the international transfer of minors. So players under uh, the age of 18 are not allowed to move countries. Uh, And this was a rule that was originally instituted to prevent what was happening was a lot of African Kids, minors, uh, with potential were being snapped up by these European clubs, and then they would fail, and then they would end up on the street away from their families and basically in a really, really tough spot. Mm. And so I understand the reasoning for the rule. What was interesting was it wasn't really enforced for very for a long time by FIFA until the last couple of years when Barcelona got a uh, ban uh, from FIFA from a year's worth of transfer windows, a pretty stiff penalty for violating this rule. And so now what we're, we've seen is a young American player was in the Barcelona Academy, Ben Letterman, moved with his family over there, and he was not allowed even to be registered after FIFA started enforcing this rule. And Ben Letterman is now in Florida at the IMG Academy with the, or the U.S. Development Academy. So I don't know if Messi and his story would have been allowed to happen today right. because FIFA is now enforcing this rule. And, and now Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid have the same punishment coming and a year's worth of bans from the transfer window because of it. Interesting. Yeah, with all the FIFA scandal, you didn't hear much about that. That, yeah. that really wasn't a part that played into it, but interesting nonetheless. Um, one other thing about Messi's childhood, and this is about the HGH, which, as I said, I know it's a well-worn story, but... Was there ever a hesitation? I mean, was there ever uh, a moment where maybe someone took a step back and thought, we're pumping this 13-year-old full of hormones. This may not work out that well. This could be putting him in danger. HGH is a highly controlled substance. And by law, it has very specific legal ways to use it. And messy by every account, has used it in legal ways when he was a kid. And then it stopped pretty pretty early on. Um, that said, it, it did allow him to, to get to the point where he's at least as big as he is now. 
So I can understand that there might be some concern in some quarters about it, but all I do know is from a legal standpoint, it was handled legally. When he first got to Barcelona and he's 13, how did the other guys on the team treat him? Well, their first interaction with Messi, and when he was 13, he was on a team with guys like Gerard Piquet, so, you know, who's now on the Barcelona full team and has won all these trophies with Messi. And Piquet tells stories about playing, meeting Messi for the first time and uh, just being blown away by his talent very quickly. So this was not something that took a long time for anyone to see, even when Messi was 13 years old. So that talent wins people over pretty quickly if you're their teammate, especially when you're 13 and playing on a Barcelona youth team. And so even though Messi was very, very quiet at that age and didn't really socialize much with these other guys, didn't even talk much at all, uh, they were very protective of him, especially when other teams might come in hard on him. Um, you know, and you build these bonds at, at age 13. And then this is something that's very different, obviously, from a lot of American sports. You don't have guys in the New York Yankees who've been playing together since the age of 13. And that helps explain why these Barcelona players are so close to each other. And, and so many of them are because they came through the Barcelona development system. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing when you see a Jennifer Capriati or someone, you know, a phenom tennis player at the age of 13, but they're not on a team. Right. You know, I, I just always think it's like these are grown men who are now being deferential to a 13 year old. Or yeah. being protective of a 13-year-old? Well, and, and they were close to that age as well at the time. But then as Messi starts to move up the ladder in the, in the youth ranks at Barcelona, uh, you know, he made his debut at age 16 for the, for the full team. So that's only three years after he got there. Um, and it's, it's a process, you know, and there's so much pressure on any kid who goes through that process. I mean, this is the biggest sport in the world and becoming the greatest player in the world is a climb that is, it, it's hard even to imagine to put into words. Like, it's just, you can't compare it to any other sport. And yet the toughness required to mentally, physically get through all that, um, it's, it's, it's amazing. Well, it reminds me of another athlete that you profiled very famously when he was a teenager, which is LeBron. And mm -hmm. the reason why I say that they are similar is because... I think it's very rare and incredibly commendable when you are so hyped and then you exceed the hype. Yeah. It, it that takes a, a totally different kind of person to me. I mean, you met LeBron when he was what? 16? Yeah. When you did the and there was the cover story, the chosen yeah. one. I mean, that puts so much pressure. Have you ever noticed or when talking to Messi or looking at his story, does he have a little of that LeBron James um sort of parallel? Yeah. You know, I I just think the the ability to to deal with all of the attention that you get from this very young age, um, it, it's a skill. It's uh, it's something that not everyone has. I also wrote about Freddie Adu a lot uh, back around. Didn't really when, pan out. Who didn't pan out, you know? And and so it's not guaranteed. And I remember writing about LeBron and Freddie Adu right around the same time, actually. And you when you do that, you you want to make sure to include some caveats. You know, this isn't a guarantee, by the way, and make sure that you at least address that possibility and, and be mature about it. But, um, you know, Freddie Adu didn't make it. And, uh, and so for LeBron to, and Messi to, to do that uh, says a lot about them. 
Messi has achieved so much. I mean, if we were going to list all of his accomplishments, the podcast would be over. He's gotten everything except the World Cup win. Yeah. If he never gets it, how glaring of a hole is that on his resume? Well, for me, I, I think he's the best player in the history of the game now. And I don't think he needs to win a World Cup to show it. I think the Champions League now is so much bigger than it used to be. And so I understand why you, when Pele and Maradona were playing, that the World Cup was this you know, be-all, end-all measure. But today it's the Champions League. And what Messi has done in the Champions League and in the Spanish League uh, over the years has, is enough for me. For a lot of other people who follow this game. What about game, him? Uh, yeah, you know, it's a good question. For a lot of people who follow this game, he will have to win a World Cup to be considered the best player of all time. And I get that. But uh, Messi himself, not his favorite question to answer probably about not having won a World Cup. You know, clearly it's, it's the big goal for him. Uh, he got to the final with Argentina in 2014. Um, they lost to Germany. They had a couple chances. Argentina was the better team in that World Cup final and probably for the first 60 minutes. Messi had a good chance early in the second half, didn't convert. Iguain had a good chance in the first half, didn't convert. Germany gets the winner in, in extra time. And Messi didn't play great in that final. And I remember being in the stadium in Rio when he was awarded the player of the tournament, which I think is voted on before the, the final. It's ridiculous. And he looked like the saddest guy in the world winning a trophy, at least. I, I, like, he had no desire to be there taking a trophy that you he didn't feel he deserved. And, and I get it. I mean, it's, it's a huge disappointment, uh, obviously, when you get to a World Cup final not to win it. In Argentina, for as many great players as they've had over the last 20 years, they've not won a senior title since 1993. And so everything's looking at the World Cup and they do view this Copa America that's starting here in the U.S. in June as it would be a nice way to win a trophy and to get into that winning frame of mind after reaching the World Cup final and missing out and reaching the Copa America final last year and missing out and hope to build that. But um, I still think that even though Argentina has not found a way to use Messi maybe as well as Barcelona has, um, he's still the best for me with that win in a World Cup. You mentioned that it's not his favorite question to answer, which is the glaring thing that he has not won. <laughs> He's very, or it appears from the piece, that he is a very thorough catalog in his head of all of his greatest YouTube highlights. <laughs> How aware of he is he of his own legacy? Um, I, I think he's certainly aware of what he's achieved. And he did perk up. I had, as I was interviewing him, um, a laptop queued up with some videos. So that's a little on me. It's not like he's bringing up the first person to bring up, oh, you see that YouTube clip, you know? Like, um, but he was, he, get, he seemed to be excited talking about it. Was it was not the first time he had seen those clips on YouTube. It was not. I mean, one was the athletic Bilbao uh, goal he scored last year in the Copa del Rey final, which was amazing. And I was just trying to get a sense of, of what sort of thought process he has, if any, when he's running through five defenders and scoring an amazing goal like that. And there really isn't much thought process going on. Oh, is this he is, one of those kind of guys who can do it but can't explain how they do it? Um, to some extent, to some extent. That can be frustrating to interview. 
It can be. Um, and so you have to look for ways to try and get him to, to latch on to some things. But I also believe him, you know, when this is something that is muscle memory and his whole approach from when he was five years old, basically to today still, is get ball to goal. And do it dribbling if you have to. Obviously, he can, he can pass the ball. He had two great passes this week in the Copa del Rey final that led to goals for, for Barcelona. But he is wired to go to goal and go directly and go through as many people as necessary. And you have to be so special of a player to have that approach at the professional level and at the highest levels of the game and be able to get away with it. You have to be like a surpassing genius-type talent and he is. Yeah, he's been called a genius. I, all and all that praise is so well deserved. But do you? Does he see himself in that way? Like as I said, is he aware of his legacy? Does he understand what he means to the game, or is he still so much in it that he doesn't uh, is not willing to admit uh, what he means? I think you know so many people want to compare Messi to Cristiano Ronaldo, and that makes sense because they're the two yeah, premier players of their time. Yeah. Um, and Cristiano Ronaldo quite clearly has a high opinion of himself, you know, and that's what we see on television. That's been my experience a couple of times personally. Uh, and you know, it is what it is and you, that's okay. Uh, Lionel Messi is not that way. Uh, very, um, very quiet. Uh, unless he's with people he's, he's known for a long time. Um, is he skeptical? Is he guarded? Is he? You know, I've had one really long interview with him now, and that's and that's it. So I've done these types of things before, and you know, like you, it's my job to make the best of a situation where you've just met somebody, and for the first time oh, you I met them, you got to sit down and try and and make get as much you. good stuff out of it as possible, and. Um, you know, sometimes people can be guarded, but I felt like we had a nice conversation. We actually, right at the start of our interview, had a bit of a technical malfunction because we were doing a video as well, uh, in addition to the written piece, and uh, the microphone wasn't working. And Been there. And so for seven minutes, seven, eight minutes, he and I just talked in Spanish about stuff and somehow got around to me being from Kansas City and talk, and him being curious about the new soccer stadium in Kansas City. And, and I was thinking to myself, one, I hope this microphone starts working soon. <laughs> yes. But also... I You'll be going back to your high school graduation? I, I mean, how many memories do I, you I, I didn't imagine... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I didn't imagine I would be talking to Lionel Messi about, you know, the sporting Kansas City soccer stadium, yeah. but that's kind of the way it worked out. <laughs> well, and to that end, he says how much he loves America. And how much he can't wait to be here for a month to play Copa America. It's about a month, right? Yeah. I mean, if, if they're lucky, they'll make the final. Uh, it's June 3rd to the 26th. So when I'm reading that, what I'm taking in from it is at some point he will end up here. Uh, he will end up in MLS, either owning a franchise slash playing for one or somehow he's going to be a bigger presence in America. I'm curious to see what happens, because on the one hand, he did say he He's very interested, fascinated by the United States. He's certainly observed it from a distance for a long time and certainly consumed our culture. Um, but he's never 
played in a tournament in the United States. He's only played friendlies for Barcelona and Argentina, so he's never had a chance to stay for very long or go on a vacation, he said. And so he's looking forward to seeing more of the country on this trip. Now, that said, he still doesn't really speak English and has not made a huge effort to to learn it. He loves being in Barcelona. Basically, what he said to me made me think he will not leave Barcelona to go to Man City or some other place. He's going to play the bulk of his club career at Barcelona um, and that he would like to potentially finish uh, at his club uh, back in Rosario in Argentina, Newell's Old Boys. Uh, so it the, pro- didn't come- the prodigal son goes home. Yeah, exactly. But I, I, I don't know if, I'll, if we'll see him play in the U.S. for like an MLS club. I do think we'll see him spend more time in the U.S. over time. You know, in some ways, I'm always curious about what people abroad think of the United States, especially now in this current political environment. You know, I wonder if people are laughing at the U.S. in a lot of ways or if we become some kind of joke or whatever. Um, What fascinates him about America? What did he say that I thought stood out? Um, People have so much. That's true. In the United States. Things, material things. I think that's a little bit of it. Um, And here's a guy who, someone was telling me that on one of his personal avatar type things, like on Facebook or something, like it was Skype, that he had a picture of himself in Times Square in New York um, where it was just him and nobody, all these people kind of in the background, but nobody really noticing it was Lionel Messi. Oh, a moment of anonymity. Yeah. And that's interesting. Um, So he might be one of these guys that doesn't play for an MLS team like Beckham did, but comes with his family to the U.S. where they can actually maybe walk around a little bit. Henri had that. Yeah. Where he could go and live in New York and be in Soho and sit down and have a cup of coffee and just be there. And nobody came up to him. Although when Zlatan Ibrahimovic came to SI... (laughs) He was getting stopped on the street in front of the Time and Life building. Soccer has advanced long enough now, and there's enough foreign tourists in the U.S. that when in New York, these guys will get recognized eventually, but it's not nearly what it's like in a European capital form. In terms of adversity that he's faced off the pitch, and we've talked about the pressure of having your family's hopes and dreams on your back at 13. Right. Um, I can't imagine what that is like, but... Aside from that, has he been able to stay relatively, like, scandal-free in this era of social media? And does that just go to his low-key nature? I know he's got a partner, not a wife, but partner, um, and they have two sons. Yeah, Uh, really cute kids. But he's basically, how would you describe his life away from soccer? The only situation that has been troublesome in a public way is this tax situation. Um, which he's one of a few players over in Spain who uh, authorities have had issues with on on taxes. So we'll see where that goes. I still think that uh, it's hard for me to imagine that being something that would cause him to lose a lot of fans. And we don't know all the details yet because it's still in the process of happening. Um, he's a pretty... Simple guy, it sounds like, from everything I, you know, understand off off the field. Uh, I'd recommend the best book I've read about Messi is by Guillaume Balaguer. Um, it's in English. It's called Messi. 
Um, and it's, it's really well done and gives you a really good window into Messi's story and, and his influences and what he's like away from the field. Um, there was a moment early on in his Barcelona career where he really was influenced by Ronaldinho when Ronaldinho, the Brazilian great, you know, world player of the year in 05, 06, was at the height of his powers. And Ronaldinho uh, very much loves life, loved Barcelona, kind of flamed out very quickly from his heights, partied a ton. And I know there were some concerns for a little bit that Ronaldinho's influence on Messi was extending off the field in ways that concerned some folks. Um, but it never became, you never really heard any specific on off field problems that Messi would run into. And, and he's lives a very Argentine life away from the field. Uh, yeah, the mate. Yeah. The tea is a big part of how he stays connected to Argentina. Um, that's one of the examples. And mate know. is just like a very caffeinated, yeah. uniquely brewed, very Argentinian. I, I, Argentina is my adopted country. I've tried mate. I, I think it's bitter and horrible, but <laughs> it's something that's huge in that part of South America, Uruguay as well. And, and uh, you know, Messi and, and his partner hang out with Luis Suarez and his wife, Luis Suarez from Uruguay, sure. and, and they post pictures on Instagram and they've got their mate and straws in. And um, It is very much a, a way of life. Uh, but Messi still has an Argentine accent and is Spanish. Um, you know, he still eats like an Argentine does more so than uh, Catalan. What does that mean? Steaks. Uh, his diet actually over the years, not that great. Uh, you know, I was, I was, you think this is a guy who's small, right? Looking for every advantage he could ever right. have. And he's putting down the T-bone Oh, steak. no. And then he's like, oh, for dessert, I love having dulce de leche pancakes. And I'm just like, oh, that's, no, that sounded delicious. Th by those the way. do sound very good. But like, um, well, it's just it's funny because you look at a, like a Tom Brady, for example, or a JJ Watt or um, even when I was covering the NBA, guys are so strict yeah. about what they put in their body. I mean, not one morsel of unrefined sugar right. ever gets through. It'd be like a piece of dust in the uh, <laughs> like in the hard drive, you know, and all of a sudden everything just short circuits. And this guy's eating pancakes. I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, he certainly Messi has gotten better about his diet since when he was a teenager. But it's not, you know, J.J. Watt. Yeah. <laughs> What's what is around Messi? I mean, what? How much is insulating him? And when you sat down to interview him, was it was there someone breathing over your shoulder, or did you did they trust him to tell his own story? There's not a, a an entourage, even I would say, in in my admittedly limited experience uh, around Team Messi. Um, you know, he has a a personal rep um, who was involved, was around. Um, body man, but not a security guy, to be honest. I, I, I mean, like, I mean, maybe there's one lurking that I didn't know about. That they were so good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, Messi drove himself uh, to the area where in Barcelona where we did our photo shoot and interview. And actually, that's not different. David Beckham used to drive himself everywhere in Los Angeles. Um, Beckham never had a huge entourage hmm. unless it was a real situation where you knew there was going to be a ton of people around then there would be security guys and stuff so maybe that's just not a soccer thing maybe not uh, i'm trying to think now i think about it more in terms of like alan iverson he used to have a huge oh my gosh entourage. Guys, oh, joe montana came in the other day at seven people with him. oh wow that's what i'm saying it's fool's gold because i don't think joe was the one who was like and i need this person and right. this person get my water he didn't seem that way so it can be fool's gold 
but you can always just sort of tell who's who right. by how many people they come in with. That's interesting. Or maybe that's not, maybe that doesn't translate. <laughs> um, what's his uh, partner life, his partner like, Antonella? I follow her on Instagram. She has a lot of followers, as I do follow Messi as well. Um, and she's from his hometown, Rosario. Um, they've known each other for a long time, actually. And I think for many years, weren't sort of romantically connected. Um, and then I think he was his late teens, early 20s, maybe, when he sort of put out there publicly that they were together. And um, I think it probably says something about him that he's surrounded himself with people from home, you know, um, that he likes that connection and, and all these people who knew him before he was the best soccer player in the right. world. No, I can understand that. I, I guess I'm a little surprised. Argent Argentina is, is Catholic? It is, but not everyone's that practicing. The only reason why I ask is just because they're not married. They're married. They have two kids. Yeah, I didn't ask him about that. Um, but it's something like if you look at the other other people on on the Barcelona team there's a, and players he's played with, fairly common. Um, and, st I, I mean... Am I going to sit there and ask the guy, you know, when are you going to put a ring on it? Oh, yeah. No, like, I no, didn't no, expect you like, to pull out Beyonce <laughs> lyrics to him, but, although that would have been amazing. But, it's, but it is interesting. I mean, clearly they're... Um, I just know, you, I know that you know time. a lot about Argentina as well, so I just wasn't sure if that was something. You know, in my experience, spending a lot of time in Argentina over the years, um, a lot of times what happens is, and this happens in Brazil as well, is... Um, kids you know, become adults and then continue living with their family until they get married. And so a lot of times they'll live with their family into their 20s. Um, so that's, it's interesting, yeah. Uh, and maybe it has to do with finances, I don't know. What else can you tell us about Messi? If I haven't gotten to the heart of it, if I haven't gotten to the meat of, of what, what you were hoping to get and what you did find from him, what was it? I mean, I've always had a fascination just from... Personally, I started going to Argentina in 1994. Been there probably 12, 14, 15 times. I go there on vacation with my wife. Uh, first time I went to Argentina was in 1994, and I traveled with the fans of Boca Juniors, the biggest club there, and they're very hardcore fans overnight to a game in Rosario about five hours away. And I still have this kind of image. You know, Lionel Messi was in Rosario then and was like six years old. You know, just... And that culture there has produced, this is the second city of Argentina. It's much smaller than Buenos Aires, but it has produced so many sort of, not just great soccer players and, and managers over the years, but people you would think about using the word genius to describe. Marcelo Bielsa, the coach, for a lot of people is a genius. Um, Fernando Redondo, who never did that much with the Argentine national team, but was an amazing player for Real Madrid, also from Rosario. And, and so we got to talking a little bit about Rosario and, you know, was it in the water there? What's going on? You know, it's this, this culture that I've always been fascinated with hotbeds. You know, I used to cover basketball as well. And like how, what's, what's the style sports wise, basketball wise of Seattle, you know, the, like, is there a Seattle style of basketball? Is there a Rosario style of soccer? And this is like a, a cultural influence where the sport is so big that it 
and this sport encourages creativity and, um, you know, and rewards people who think differently. And this not very big city in Argentina has far more than its share of, of soccer geniuses. And I don't use the term genius easily and often, but, uh, you know, this guy clearly qualifies. Do you have a theory? <sighs> I like to spend some more time on Rosario. Um, <laughs> but, um, no, I mean, like, and I don't think it's just genius with Messi. I think it's, it's, you know, this combination of that and then given the opportunities he's had in the right places. But I also wonder if Barcelona had passed on signing him at the age of 13, what might have happened? You know, these are all these great I, what ifs in sports, you know, what if, what if Tom Brady had never gone to the Patriots? Right. You know, and what if, gosh, there's what if Patrick Ewing ever went to the Knicks? I mean, those are just some very big examples. But like, you know, what about Johnny Manziel? Yeah. You know, if he hadn't gone to Cleveland, if he had gone somewhere else, would he be a totally different person? I don't know. And, and Barcelona was the perfect place for Messi to go. And that's why he's like, my life is perfect here. I have no desire to go anywhere. I don't think they're going to let him go. <laughs> I think it's. I think he's going to be able to walk out that door. Great work. Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate it. Tough nut to crack. Wow, Messi. Thanks for having me. That'll do it for this week's episode of the Planet Football Podcast. Again, definitely pick up this week's issue of Sports Illustrated on your newsstands. Lots of soccer in there. Um, check us out on Facebook at well, as well, Sports Illustrated Planet Football. We actually revealed our cover this week. Uh, on that through Facebook Live um, with Grant revealing the cover of Lionel Messi. A lot of exciting things going on and Copa America, of course, right around the corner. I want to thank Brian Strauss for joining us earlier. Alex Abnos is our producer for Grant Wall, Maggie Gray. I am Avi Creditor. We'll talk to you next week on the Planet Football Podcast. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network? Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.